Konnichiwa! And howdy, y'all! I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie. And welcome to Sumo Kaboo! Where we talk about all things sumo. This week we're talking about Tamawashi! Yes. In case you've been under a rock, he won the last Basho! <laughs> and we're very excited and we realized that we had not done a spotlight on Tamawashi. I wanted to see if I could learn anything new about him. Mm-hmm. I did. And I'm going to share that in a little bit. But first... Let's do a little news flash. First off, we had an email from a very nice guy named Kosuke, and he is Japanese, but he is a PhD student at the German Sport University in Cologne in Germany. Oh. And he reached out because he he says he's not a specialist in sumo, but he's really interested in international sumo fans. And he's writing his paper for his doctorate, his thesis, and his thesis is called What an Authentic Experience During a Trip to Japan Is. And he he asked the question, if people feel culturally closer to Japan after watching sumo in Japan. So I filled out the survey. It's only like seven minutes and it's not like a whole bunch of personal information. It's just more like, what'd you feel after that? Or how did, yeah, did, did you feel closer to Japan? to Japan after seeing something in person. So um, also you get to watch a little sumo. And I was like, this is great because we do reach out to lots of people who have been to Japan, who have seen a sumo tournament. And that may be why you all found yourselves big fans of sumo. So I said I would relay the survey on to you all. So all you have to do, it's this simple. You just Google, make sure you use Google, Google International Sumo Fan Survey, and it will be the top search results on Google. So once again, Google International Sumo Fan Survey, help Kosuke out. Uh, You don't get anything other than just helping a really nice guy uh, write his paper. But hey, if you've got some info to share, go ahead and share it with him. He would be very appreciative. It's open for anybody or you had to have gone to Japan? Yeah, you have to have gone there and seen a sumo tournament. Sorry, I can't help you. That's right. But I could. So uh, go ahead if you have seen live sumo in person. All right. This weekend was a who's who of haircutting ceremonies. October 2nd is Kotoshogiku. And his retirement ceremony was so adorable. I love Kotoshogiku, but we all love his backbend. We all remember his pre-bout ritual of that massive backbend. Mm-hmm. So one of the features during his retirement ceremony was he came out and he wrestled with his two kids. Mm-hmm. They're like five and one years old. And the one-year-old was just adorable, just like basically wearing like a diaper with a mawashi, which was cute, and just like hunkered down in a squat the whole time. But the second son really like the oldest son really practiced hard for this and he had all of Kota Shogiku's moves down so they did their pre-bout ritual in the same way and his little kid did a back bend as well and then he fought it out with his uh with his little kid who obviously won the match oh of course of course but Kota Shogiku was like the proudest dad and he also said he couldn't like he he just felt like the tears came with so much pride and watching his son you know just see him in the doyo. It was adorable. But getting his actual haircut, I watched it and I have to say the tears flowed for me because 
it's a huge moment in a wrestler's life. And, you know, once Hakaho started cutting his hair, it just, the tears started to go. And we saw just everybody, you know, Kakaru and Hakaho and Goedo, all the old guys. And it made me really happy. Also, he had this really cool VR experience Mm -hmm. where fans could have, they would wear the VR goggles for three minutes and it gave them a close-up look at what it's like to basically tachiai with Koto Shogiku, mm-hmm. um, Kotoeko, I think was one, and maybe Goedo was maybe another one. But the people who were doing it were just like, uh, it was intense. It really, really felt like this is what it looks like staring down Kota Shogiku in the doyo. And I was like, Ooh. I need to do this. Yeah. I need to know what it's like right before you tachi with Koto Echo or Goedo. What is that? Yeah. What does that feel like? So that was a really cool fan experience. So many, many good wishes to Koto Shokiku in his retirement. I think he will be a big part of the JSA and it's exciting to see him in this new chapter. And he chose to wear a tux at the end, which yeah. I always appreciate. Yeah, that. like so Goedo did too. It's, yeah, it's a very James Bond type moment, and I'm loving it. I wonder if it's the same it. tuxedo. No, no. I'm just kidding. Maybe they, just kidding. surely they rent one. Uh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Um, but he looked great, and his wife was there, and the kids were there. It was all, it was all awesome. So here's a little fun tidbit. Hakaho has already been busy changing up the sumo world. And what I mean by that is the workout routines. You know, everyone knows that they get up really early in the morning and they do their morning practice, their Mm -hmm. morning keiko. But, you know, they eat lunch and then it's kind of known that in the afternoon, some wrestlers go to the gym and work out, you know. Or they play video games. Or they play video games Mm -hmm. after the night. However they want to do it, that's what they do. So Hakaho has added to his wrestler's schedule by having an official lower leg or bottom half practice strengthening session at night. So at five o'clock every day, his wrestlers have to go, instead of just saying, you can go to the gym and do whatever, it's specifically for the lower half. And already it's showing big results. And this is a reflection of what he actually did as a wrestler. Every day he would do his lower half at five or whatever. Well, all those wrestlers have amazing buns. Yeah. So it's working. I think that's kind of interesting. He's shaking it up as he has over the years. Do you know what he does? I don't. But they do say that it's a it's a practice regimen more similar to Mongolian training mm. is what one of the articles said. So I don't know exactly what that is, hmm. but um, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to know more. Yeah. And I think, oh, there was a... Um, a all sumo tournament with with uh it's the first time they held it in over three years but it it took place with about 32 top ranked wrestlers about 32 makauchi wrestlers and i don't exactly know what it was i think it's the 79th annual all japan sumo tournament which sounds like a amateur sumo tournament but it's not it's for all the pros and they wrestle each other and they've done it for many many years and Hoshoryu won and he actually was paired up for the very last bout against Meisei who is a stablemate of his hmm. but they never really get to go head they go head to head in practice all the time but they don't really go head to head in competition mm-hmm. so they both really were like excited about being able to have an official bout where they just go just crazy with this competition. So this was the same competition that Asa Shoryu won like a million years ago. So when Hoshoryu found that, he was like, oh, really? And it was soon thereafter that Asa Shoryu's career started to really 
kick up with promotions and stuff all the way up. So mm. it's considered kind of like a good luck charm, I oh. guess, to win this tournament. So it's a one-day tournament. We should expect Hoshoryu to shoot to the very top. Perhaps. Then. Perhaps. Okay, like a firecracker. That's right. Great. That is all I've got. Great, let's talk Tamawashi. That's right. I'm going to talk about his fighting style. Perfect. And maybe his sumo history and a little bit of Perfect. extra fun stuff that that I found. But I know you're going to go way, way back. As far back as I can. Which is actually not that far. I was going to say. It's, it's only in the 80s. Yeah. But uh, I'll just say Tamawashi Ichiro is what he's called in Japan. Uh, but he was born November 16th, 1984. A good year. Now, what were you doing in 1984? I was in the third grade. You were in the third grade? Well, I was only 10. So what grade are you in when you're in the third grade? I don't know. Okay. We're not so good at math. No, I'm not yeah. so good at math. But I know how old I was. We would have been wearing... <laughs> was it pre-parachute pants? No, I no, that I was wearing parachute pants probably. I, although, actually, I don't think mom ever bought me parachute pants. Those are too expensive. Yes. I was probably roller skating a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely trying to learn Janet Jackson moves off yeah. the TV. Uh-huh. Also Wham. Yeah, I was probably starting to get into Wham then. Yeah. 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 Grease. I was listening to my Grease album 24-7, I'm sure. Which was four years old at that time. Grease came yeah, out it in 1980. Been it would have been hot. Yeah. <laughs> See? That's that's what I was doing in 84. But Tamawashi was born in Mongolia then. Yes. In Ulaanbaatar. And, in a uh, big city. Yeah, city boy. Um, his real name is, drum roll please, Bacharglan Monk Urgle, nicknamed OG. OG? That's yeah. much better. Oh, let's call him OG. OG. Okay. OGI. OGI. OG. Yeah. And he is, by the way, now 6'2, 350 pounds. He fights for the Kata Onami stable. And he is 100% OG now. He is OG. He is, I think, like one of four wrestlers. Like, it's him and then like three other guys in that very tiny stable, which is Yeah, it awesome. is a small stable. Yeah, yeah, it is. Especially remember- thinking through coronavirus. Like, that's when all those pictures came yeah. out. His coach was like, uh, we can't really practice with any- anyone else. You're my highest ranked guy, so you're going to fight all the other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Random thought. In 1984... Was that when OP was like really big? Jordan down with OPP. Yeah, uh, you know me. No, I was thinking the t-shirts. Like, wasn't there like a t-shirt jams? athletic style that was like OPs? Yeah, you wore your OPs. Yeah, but I thought that was jams the- shorts. It was it was one in the same. Some- no. Somewhere I don't in there. Know. Okay, I don't know. So it was, it was just too a long big ago. blur. <laughs> well, anyway, his blood type's AB, which mm. means absolutely nothing, but maybe mm. it mm-hmm. means everything. Yes, because it this might. is the first wrestler I have come across that has AB blood i've never seen anyone who's both i thought we talked about one but of course i don't remember who it is no of but course. it's very we do unusual. research and then we quickly forget yeah well it, he has a very different origin story than most of our wrestlers he came over to japan with his older sister now his older sister is a smart cookie right mm-hmm. and the mongolians are huge for like look Go study in Japan, educate yourself, but they work really hard in, in a lot of ways if they can to work abroad. Imagine that has to do with opportunity and that kind of stuff. But his older sister, only by one year, 
got accepted into the University of Tokyo, which is not an easy university to get into, certainly not from somebody from abroad. So she was in college. She's one year older. He comes over to visit her. And I'm sure in the same way, he's like, I'm kind of looking for what I want to do. But he did at the time that he's 18 or 19 years old Mm -hmm. at this point. He wants to become a hotelier. Mm -hmm. He wants to work in the hotel industry. And get this, he has absolutely zero Mm-hmm. experience in sports yeah i not think even this is like, fascinating n- not even bulk not even like nothing he's just a big kid he's just big yeah and and i think when he came over they went to go see a tournament and he was kind of hooked and i maybe he looked at himself maybe his sister was like you're big you could do this mm-hmm. but he's like i don't have any experience and so they followed kakaru because kakaru is mongolian and kakaru at the time this was like 2003 or something he was coming up but he was nobody yet right well you know they're both mongolian exactly yeah so, so he went to kakaru and said hey i'm from mongolia you're from mongolia i'm kind of interested in this whole sumo thing and i'm a big guy <laughs> But oh I have, Same I have like no experience. Yeah, I I don't know sumo from the back of my hand. I don't know actually any sports, like nothing. Like there is no yeah. history of like never done baseball, baseball, soccer, nothing. He's just never like, skied. I'm just a big kid. Yeah. Nothing. He was interested in hotels and Kakadu. Yeah, and Kakadu was like, yeah, you know, I'm at the Zutsu stable. I can't really help you out here, but like, there's another guy who is a, a retired Mongolian wrestler, and he be able to hook you up and so he gave him the connection to that guy that guy got him into the katanonami stable where he is today mm-hmm. and so he joined sumo at 18 years old and uh can you imagine that like most wrestlers go in at 15 and they have experience or if they join later it's because they've been doing sumo their entire lives he's mm-hmm. just like i'm big mm-hmm. let's try this mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, essentially. But to me, it explained so much because the one thing that's true about his rise is that it has been long and it has not been meteoric. Mm -hmm. He is extremely slow with making his way up the ranks, Mm -hmm. you know. Even entering into sumo, he came in with nothing. It took him three years to get out of, like, the lower divisions into Makushita. And then, I mean, the longest ride, I think it was 66 tournaments from when he started to when he got into Sanyaku or something. The longest rise from a foreign wrestler ever. Mm-hmm. But to me, that doesn't say that that doesn't say that somebody's just not skilled. It just says, this is the way this guy works. He's a little bit late to the party. But he gets it. He's a late bloomer. He is. And miraculously has figured out how to stay, for the most part, uninjured. You know, there must be some magic in this slow rise. You know, I don't know if that's coming into it late without having a body riddled with injuries by the time you're 15 or 18 years old. You know, like some of these guys come into sumo and they've already had major back deals. Like he has been healthy, you know, and he's had a very slow, slow molasses like rise fun fact though about his older sister who's mm-hmm. the smarty pants mm-hmm. she uh is still smarty pants and she works on climate change global warming joint research project awesome. yeah. yeah i'm sure all of that affects her homeland so yeah fun fact about the family so when he was coming up 
he did say in some of his interviews that he was surpassed by Terenofuji and Ichinojo. And it did kind of bother him. He was envious of their kind of huge rises compared to what his was, which was years and years and years. This was 2003, 2004 when he started. He never even made it to Sanyaku to what, 2000 and... Uh, uh, I, mean, I could tell you more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took It took a long time, but he has staying power. I will say about him, I've always been interested in him because of his outside of sumo activities. And the reason is because it's like great pictures and you've got this big guy and he's really into arts and crafts and cooking and baking, which makes sense. If you wanted to work in the hotel industry, I'm sure he was working around chefs or he was interested in those types of things. And he that actually is... studied in Mongolia at the Food Tech Institute. Yes, yes, So he, he went did. to cooking school. He really did. Yeah. And his hobbies are really making small items and sweets. And he can make cakes, like professional grade cakes he can make. People... Or like they taste amazing and they look professional. His favorite food, by the way, is vegetable tempura or, as the association says in, the, in his official profile, um, all food. He, everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah. He likes it all. He likes, he likes to eat. All. Yeah. He likes it all. But he, um, he got started in all of the hobbies and handicrafts because this is how I feel when I'm cooking. It takes his mind off of sumo wrestling mm -hmm. and the stress of that. Mm -hmm. So it's a real escape for him. And um, he's mentioned, you know, there's been times where I think he was on a tour. He was in a he was in a out of town uh, tournament and he went into a handicraft store and he said, I felt a little weird. Like people were judging me um, because I'm this enormous guy that's walked into a handicraft store, which is typically like ladies and that kind of stuff. Like guys get a lot of shade for doing things with their hands. And I'm like, come on, that's pretty awesome. It's an art form. And after that, though, he kind of just kind of stiffened his spine and was like, no, I'm proud to be here. I can do whatever I want with my hands. I can do whatever I want when I bake. And he actually does a lot of that with his wife, by the way. His wife is this gorgeous Mongolian model. Um, they got married in like 2012, secretly. And he did not even reveal that they got married to like two years later. Yeah. Yeah. After maybe one of those big wins. But um, that's one of their bonding things they do. And that's one of the things she loves the most about him is that she's like, he's soft. He's gentle. He's kind. And like we cook together, he he makes amazing gyoza and homemade like from scratch ramen and they do that together. So they have this really sweet bond and a lot of it's over cooking and making things. And, and he's, hearts. Hearts. He's great at sewing. He, he, he has two kids and he's made all of these adorable, like with his hands, like all of these adorable little animal blankets and stuff just for his little boys who are so cute. And, you know, with little zippers and little animals on there. So he's loved so much for his fierceness in the doyo, but also his extreme soft side on the outside. But there was an incident you know, when all that Hadamafuji stuff went down in like 2011, 2012, where Hako was there mm -hmm. and they somebody beat up somebody and they should have told the JSA. Anyway, people retired. And it was kind of this all Mongolians on deck, like are kind of expected to be there and party and drink together. And Tamawashi was invited that night, but he decided he was going to stay home or stay in the hotel or wherever he was staying to watch like his favorite uh, TV star <laughs> on television so he's he he says openly he's managed to kind of 
uh, he's made a choice to not get into trouble drinking and stuff. He did get into one incident where he got drunk and Mm -hmm. he put his elbow through a window Mm -hmm. and... (laughs) But after that, after the injury, which wasn't a big, huge injury, he was like, "Okay, I'm done with that. And so he really kind of keeps himself on the outside of the socialization with other sumo wrestlers, especially from Mongolia, because he sees it sometimes as a slippery slope. So all the activities that he's in or making things and staying home with his wife and stuff is is dual purpose, you know, to lessen the stress, but also to keep him out of trouble. Even though he likes everybody, he's just like, I got to stay on the straight and narrow. So I think that overall, he's just a big, sweet guy. He kind of reminds me of like dad, my yeah. our dad's energy. Our dad's like a big, sweet teddy bear. Yeah, he is. And um, who is 6'2". Who is also 6'2 yep. and a big guy. Yep. So there's just something real lovable about the guy. And he seems like such a pro, like a big sweetheart. What did you learn about him? Well, there's a few things that jumped out at me and really piqued my interest about Tamawashi. And one was just in this last tournament that he won and he got back to his stable and he did a little interview and like picture session that evening in front of his stable. Mm-hmm. And I watched it on YouTube and I was amazed by the number of children there. There mm. were so many little kids who love him and who ran up to give him flowers and were <laughs> shouting for him. And I thought, this is this is very unusual. I've not seen this many children cheering for someone. So something is a little different about this guy. And then when I started to look him up, the next thing that really jumped out at me was the fact that he walks around and daily looking for hearts uh, and he takes obsessed. he takes pictures of hearts and texts them to his wife every day but he also embroiders things with hearts yes he never stops with the heart he loves heart shapes he loves heart shapes on everything and i thought this guy is just he's a big old sweetie you yeah. know and i got more and more curious about why he does those handcraft handicrafts i just love 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 looking him up he talks a lot about how the the crafting really helps with his concentration. Mm-hmm. That in turn helps with the sumo because mm-hmm. since he didn't grow up doing sumo, he had to really cultivate his focus mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. And it's hard to just do it physically, but if you can do it physically and then in your downtime, you can de-stress and still work on the focus in your handicrafting, it helps in your sumo, mm-hmm. which made a lot of sense to me. So we alluded to this earlier. Tamawashi is very unlike other Mongolian wrestlers because he likes to push and shove. He avoids the belt, probably because he didn't get his start wrestling really young. So he's not really comfortable on the belt. He's got no background in that. So he's really known for two moves in his wrestling. One is the Nodawa. Right. right. It's that throat attack. And there's a really great video of him online with Raja where he explains the Nodawa and he really breaks it down for Raja. Poor Raja is like bearing the brunt of his <laughs> Nodawa. Darth Vader. Yeah, it's really, Nodawa really attack. wonderful. Yeah. It's, you you use your hand, you strike right at the face of your opponent. And he sort of breaks it down and says, okay, there's two really important things with my Nodawa. And he says, one, you can't turn your fingers to the side because what I'm trying to do is push my opponent's body up, Mm -hmm. not back, but up Mm -hmm. high and cover their eyes. 
So I don't want them to see anything. I just, I want to cover their eyes and I want to get that face straight up. Okay. So he doesn't turn his fingers out or to the side, fingers up, covering your opponent's eyes, which is even scarier. Yeah. To like big hands reaching for my eyes. So that's one. And then the other thing he says is, is it's really important to get your forearm right up against your opponent's chest, like from the elbow up to your wrist, all of that is completely against your opponent, pushing straight up. Because if you mm-hmm. don't, your opponent can really easily just brush that hand away. Right. And that's one of the really important, or, or one of the skills that another wrestler is going to be trying to do when they receive the Noto attack. Is they're trying, yeah, trying to move that forearm away. But if that forearm is right against their chest, they cannot move it. Right. And I had never really put that together, that there has to be contact from the elbow all the way up to the wrist to really super be effective. Super be effective? Yeah. Sure, that works. So if your opponent can push your hand out of the way when you're doing a Notawa, it really gets you off balance. And that's how people take Tamawashi down. Right. He's like, when I don't get that forearm in place, it can easily be deflected. But when I get that, yeah, it's pretty deadly. Did you read that about his, his coach basically said he's just not flexible and especially in his lower half well so that's why he developed those techniques is that he has the flexibility oddly enough in his ankles but his lower half is amazingly stiff well and that makes sense because he was not doing sports as a kid so he he doesn't have the flexibility that a lot of other wrestlers have right yeah the other technique that he's really known for and he's hurt a lot of other wrestlers with is the kotanage, the arm bar throw. He's considered super dangerous (laughs) with this one. And that's the one where you grab your opponent, um, their arm is straight, their elbow is straight, and you like wrap their arm in yours and you turn away really fast and you throw the other person down to the dirt. That's a kotanage, okay? But it happens super fast and yeah. He has hurt other people with that one. So he's really known for those two. And in fact, in the last tournament, when Hakaho did commentary, like he was doing commentary during the right. sumo, he was talking about all these different wrestlers. And he said, with Tamawashi, the one thing you have to do to stop Tamawashi is you have to stop his right hand. You can usually, you know, get out of the other things, but you have to stop his right hand. It's probably because he's going for that Notoa. If he can get that, he's pretty deadly. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And it makes complete sense without that strong background at sumo that he's got to rely on upper body techniques, not so much. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. The advantage of his height. That's his style of sumo, Yeah, which is pretty cool. So as you would expect for somebody who doesn't have a background in sumo... He needed a lot of time when he first got started in Makushta to really figure out sumo. As we said, he came to sumo pretty late. I read anywhere from like 18 to 20 years old is when he came in. So he was in late teens, early 20s, somewhere somewhere in there. And he had a lot of training to do. And it wasn't until 2007 Mm -hmm. that he won all seven matches in Makushta, made it up to Makushta 2. And then in the next tournament, got promoted, ended up in Jurio, finally in January 2008. And there were so many ups and downs. Like he would get promoted and then demoted. Promoted again, demoted. And you just float all around throughout all the Well, levels. you're talking about when he was going from Jurio to Makauchi. So 
there were several phases in his rise. There was this long phase where he didn't make it to Jurio. And then he just like went through Jurio pretty quickly up into Makauchi and then back down yeah. into Jurio, back up into Makauchi, back down. And it was kind of like this bob. Yeah. You know, he had bobbing. to get his bearings. And it makes sense for someone who started so late and who's yeah. still learning so much at a later age in a tiny, tiny stable. Yeah. And then finally, after a lot of hard work and up and down, in 2009, 2010, he slowly worked his way up in Makauchi all the way up to M3. 2011, he got his first victory over an Ozeki. But that's when he had that embarrassing, right at the end of the Basho, he put his elbow through the window and he got, yeah, he got scolded <laughs> by the JSA, who said, you cannot ever, ever do that again. He didn't miss any sumo, but he was really embarrassed yeah. about all of that. So that was a big oops. And then he dropped back down to Jurio again after making it up to M3. So that was in 2012. And again, up and down, up and down, up and down. It wasn't really until 2014 that he became a constant in Makauchi. Yeah, he's a he's a rank and filer. Like he really has been yeah. a rank and filer for a long time. He got to Sanyaku for the first time in 2015, and it's really interesting when you read when you read his um when you read his bio on Wikipedia, all of his records are for slowest ascent. Yeah. <laughs> it's really strange. Like, took him 38 tournaments to get to right. Sanyaku, the slowest ever for a foreign-born wrestler. Like, I kept reading all these slowest yeah. ever rises. Can for you imagine, like, having <laughs> records of just how slow you did something? Yeah, it's Following very you for strange. the rest of your life. She yeah. made it in the acting world, yet her SAT was score was one of the worst in all of Texas history. It's one of the That's slowest. My successes I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. He got his first Kimboshi in 2015. He Then he started Komasubi 2016. He got some special prizes. Took him 77 career tournaments to reach Sekewaki, which is the fifth slowest in sumo history. Like, on and on and on again about how slow he was to get to the top. And then, okay, so remember how he went in and out of Makauchi and Jurio? Mm -hmm. Then he did the same thing with Sanyaku. Right. In and out of Sanyaku and Middle Maegashira. In and out, in and out. All that is to say, January 2019, he beat three Ozeki. He beat Hakaho and won his very, well, that was his first time beating Hakaho, by the way. And ended up winning that tournament in 2019. And again, he was the second oldest first-time show winner since the six tournaments per year system was established in 1958. Anyway, we know it was slow. He was old. But he did it yeah. in 2019. Yes, same day that his son was born. Then he lost the rank. He lost the second walkie rank, went back down, up and down, you know, middle rank, Maegashira, back to Sanyaku. All of this is to say he's been around for a long time. He is known, he's just known to be a slow, I don't want to say slow learner, but slow riser. But when he's in gear, he's in gear. Right. And for miraculously, 
Injury-free? Well, no, not injury-free. Well, then he doesn't, you know, let on that he's injured. He is able, he's able to fight through his injuries. So when I went to the Japanese sites, I found mentions of knee problems, Mm -hmm. foot problems. He would talk about, oh, I pulled my right leg. Or he had one interview where he said, okay, remember this fight in that tournament? I couldn't get off the toilet that day. I needed help getting off the toilet because I had some major (laughs) knee problems. So he has had injuries, but he fights through them like Hakuho did when Hakuho completely changed his stance the last tournament of his career leading out with an opposite foot you know completely different style for him but it was still successful for Hakaho and Tamawashi does the same thing he just uses his body in different ways which I think is amazing he is also known for earning three consecutive Kimboshi against Terana Fuji that happened this year January March and May tournaments anyway now he's got Two big Yusho championships. He won Jurio once. He won Makushita once. He has won seven Kimboshi. He's got a bunch of fighting spirits too, I think. Yep. Yeah. One fighting spirit, two outstanding performance, one technique prize. But the other thing that people talk about a lot besides his baking is the fact that he has not missed a match since his debut in 2004 New Year Grand Sumo Tournament. He has not missed a day of work since 2004, except for the time when his COVID, when the COVID thing happened and his whole stable had to go out. But right. that doesn't count, y'all. It they doesn't. decided it does not count. That's right. He has officially not missed a day of work since 2014. And he also has expressed that his goal is to actually fight into his 40s. Yes, which I think is great. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe... One of the things I fell onto when I was doing all of this research is he's not the only ex-sumo wrestler baker out there. Oh. There's another. Who is that? Do you know? I did not know this until today. That the guy who is currently the head of JSAPR, Shiba Tayama. Shiba Tayama, yeah. Yes. Ex-Yokozuna, the 62nd Yokozuna Onokuni. Yeah. He's a baker. Oh, really? He is a big time baker. He has put out, he did a national sweets tour. He his, uh, he put out an autobiography. But most importantly, he sells bread and sweets at the Coco Kikon. Uh, sign me up, please. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go get a loaf of bread with a Yokozuna emblazoned on the butt loaf end of it Amazing. from an ex-Yokozuna. Amazing. Like, how cool is that? Maybe he, they have a recipe exchange. Right? A he, sumo wrestler recipe exchange. <laughs> he has a, he has this big sign with a big slogan in front of it that says, quote, there's nothing wrong if a man has a sweet tooth. Absolutely. And he sells bread rolls. He sells Yokozuna toast. Maple Ooh, what loaf? Is Yokozuna toast? It's like big ass bread. Like Texas toast? I think it's a, like, I think it's like a Our savory international loaf. fans. It's probably very close to Texas yeah. toast. What Texas toast is, is like you have two pieces of white bread, and but it's just it's put together. So it's just like an really inch thick. and a half wide piece of white bread. That's what Texas toast is. Yeah. So Yokozuna toast has got to be Yokozuna toast. Yeah. Is... He sells that. He sells maple loaf. Which Ooh. has cinnamon and maple Ooh, in it, sweet so sweet loaf. loaf. But this is not tamawashi. This is onokuni. No, this is ono, this is yes. Shibatayama. This is onokuni. But it could be tamawashi in re- retirement. Is well, what I'm thinking. Maybe they'll go into a baking business together. Exactly right. He also sells called like yokozu are are called uh, rikushi sweets. Yes. Uh, 
Sumo sweets. Sumo sweets. Sumo yeah. sweet buns. Sumo sweet buns. I mean, Perfect. who is? It's, why would yeah. you need a huge market for sumo sweet buns? Well, and it's got a real catchy, you know, name. Yes. He also sells azuki red bean loaf, which is known as red diamond. It's a sweet bean paste. Yeah. It's very weird. But hey, but a lot of people great. love it. And I, it's just one thing that I like could not get on board with. But I, I've had it and I get it. it. Just It's weird. We eat beans in such a different way in America. So it was a weird thing to be like, oh, it's sweet and it's smushed beans. I don't know how I feel about this. But if his is worth trying, I will try it and hopefully right? change my attitude about sweet beans. I need to know from somebody who is in Japan now if his... um. You know, his, ba- stall, his bake sale. His bake sale. Yeah, if it's opened back up, because I'm hoping it has. It was such a fixture of the Kokukikan for many, many years. Yeah. I want to know. So if you were at the last tournament, tell me if you saw it. I hear it's very, very popular and the line goes like all the way around the corner and you have to show up early and get your ticket. Anyway, let me know if it's still happening. Because I, I would go to Japan and if I was going to see the tournament i'd be like i'm getting up at 6 a.m with all these other crazy people because it's cold outside and i really want some maple toast yokozuna's sweet treats so i'm here absolutely yeah yeah so whatever tamawashi does in the future he could have a nice sideline business he absolutely could yes Anyway, we, we love your life, love Tamawashi. Tamawashi. We look forward to many more years yep. of Tamawashi. Oh, I also found out that he's a bad, bad golfer. Oh, well. So he's great at handicrafts, but a shitty golfer. Well, he would probably <laughs> have to spend a, a long time getting good at golf before he's as good at his as he is at sumo. You're right. It yeah. might take him 20 years to get good yeah, at yeah, golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just not a sporty type. Unless he spends lots of time. <laughs> I think he qualifies as a sporty type now. Now that yeah, he's been he in does. sumo yeah. as long as he has. But it doesn't come natural like baking does, you know? It, well, I I would also argue that it does come naturally because it only took him like three years before he was like blowing past Jurio. True. So he's got lots of natural skill. N- natural skill. Yeah. But Tons. finesse and technique maybe takes a little long, longer <laughs> for him. But whatever the case, we're on your side. Yes. More Tamawashi, please. Yes. Well, is that it? Uh, that's that's all I have today. Who knows what we're going to have for you next week, y'all. But whatever it is, come back again. That's right. We'll see you next week. We won't see you, actually. So I'll catch you next week. That's right. So uh, till next week when we talk at you in your ears. Yep. See y'all later. I'm Leslie. I'm Laurie. Bye. Bye.